One thing that Ashley and I have in common is that we both love Halloween and all things spooky. Isn't that the truth? We've also discovered a clothing line that combines Halloween, horror movies, paranormal, and cats. Ooh, you know I love a good cat shirt. This one woman clothing line is ran by Stephanie Long and Halloween has always been her favorite holiday. Her shop has all kinds of spooky apparel and accessories that have fun sayings and graphics. My personal favorite is the Bloody Mary t-shirt. Oh yeah, that's a good one. And I also love the one that says, not every witch lives in Salem. <laughs> yes. It's great. <laughs> and a lot of styles are unisex, so there's really something for everyone. The best part is that all first-time buyers can get 20% off using promo code CAT20 at checkout. That's C-A-T-2-0. Check out Wicked Cat Clothing to inspire your inner horror queen. You may go to wickedcatclothing.com or follow along on Instagram at Wicked Cat Clothing. This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Lacey. And I'm Ashley, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Nevada, and we'll talk about a man who has been described as a Joe Exotic meets King Henry VIII. Then we'll discuss an ex-cop turned serial killer. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Silver State. There is an old French folktale called Bluebeard that is about a wealthy and powerful man who has been married multiple times to beautiful women who have all mysteriously vanished. One day, Bluebeard must leave for the country, so he gives the keys of the chateau to his new wife. With these keys, she may open any door in the house except for an underground chamber that he has forbidden her from entering. Well, curiosity gets the best of her, so she decides to see what is hidden in this chamber. She opens the door and is shocked to discover that the room is filled with blood and all of the murdered bodies of Bluebeard's former wives hanging on hooks from the wall. I won't give away the ending to this tale, but because of this story, Bluebeard is now defined in the dictionary as a man who marries and kills one wife after another. It's unknown if this story is based on fact or fiction, but one thing that we do know is that black widows aren't the only lovers who slay. One day in May of 2008, on a Thursday evening in Las Vegas, Nevada, 47-year-old Sharon Causey and her husband, Thomas Randolph, shared a romantic dinner at a restaurant before going to the movies to celebrate the upcoming Mother's Day weekend. After dinner, they decided to head back home and spend more time together around 8.30 p.m. Thomas pulled the car into the drive and let Sharon get out of the car. He clicked the garage door opener while listening to music and Sharon went inside. So as she was walking down the hallway that led to their bedroom, she was shot dead. So, according to Thomas, he walked inside, saw Sharon bleeding face down in the hallway. She appeared to be shot in the head. And then he saw a man in a black ski mask. So, Thomas was not a stranger to firearms, so he ran to his closet, grabbed his 9mm. Then he followed the intruder through the house and finally got to the garage. And he had been shooting at him the whole time. 
and he shot at him a total of five times, landed two shots in the man's head. So one above the eyebrow and one above the ear. He was running away from him. Exactly. Yeah. The intruder saw that he got the gun. And took off running. Yeah. So he shot him in the back of the head and it came out above his eyebrow? It didn't say if it was... I mean, if he was running away, he wouldn't have. It didn't say if it was in the front. He shot him in the front or the back. It said above the eyebrow. So I would guess that would be from the front. So he was shot from the front. He couldn't have been shot from the front if he was running away. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Citizen sleuth. Exactly. And then one above the ear. He died quickly. And then Thomas decided to call 911. I, of course, listened to these calls. And an operator asks him, is she bleeding? And she tries to instruct him to give him CPR. He's crying, screaming, and is telling them that he's trying to roll her over, but he can't. He was worried about the intruder, so he goes back to the garage and gets the gun from underneath the man's body. I don't know if he was, like, thinking maybe he's not dead or what. The They're deal never is. dead. So he goes back in there and all that. So then he returns to Sharon, who's now bleeding from her mouth, is what he says. And he finally succeeds in flipping her over. And then he starts to perform CPR, but his back hurts, so he can't. Is this not the time you're supposed to get adrenaline? Maybe it's He's not for like, everyone. No, I'm, I'm, I've been running back and forth. He seems to run pretty well. I don't know what the flipping over is. So at this point, the police arrive and Sharon is unfortunately dead on the scene. Yeah. So the police check out the scene and discover the intruder is a 38-year-old man named Michael James Miller. Beside his body is a plastic bag that contains some of his clothes, which is kind of strange, and Sharon's jewelry and keys to the house. Kind of a weird set of contents. His clothes? The, his clothes, yeah. The guy that yeah, he shot, his, his own clothes. Mm-hmm. Was he? Was that his spinning out bag? I don't know. So, turns out Thomas is very familiar with this guy because they're friends. Yeah. Oh, he was sleeping with his wife. Well, they struck up a friendship several months earlier at a gas station, like you do. I'm going to tell you something. I met a guy in a gas station one time, and we dated for like two years. Oh, my God. Totally random. You can meet people in gas stations. I'm just saying. Was it at a come and go or It a was sit-go? not smart ass. It was like at a Valero. Oh, okay. <laughs> it can happen is no, all I'm sure, saying. No, sure, sure. So, no, really, Thomas asked Michael if he would start helping out and doing small jobs around the house. Like, he was hard on his look. So, he said, you know, I have some jobs I need help with. I'll pay you for it, whatever. But they formed a fast friendship, and they would often talk to each other on the phone three to seven times a day. No. That's... I have a lot of friends that I feel like I talk to several times a day, but not that much. Yeah. Maybe, like, on my commute. Yeah. I don't know. And this was backed up by cell phone records. So they would often hang out together and also take trips together to the shooting range, where Thomas was helping him learn how to shoot. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So before I get any further, let me tell you a little bit of a backstory. Sharon and Thomas met on Match.com. Love it. And began dating. They were together for just two years before they tied the knot in 2007. Sharon was Thomas's sixth wife. Six? Yep. Oh, he had a difficult marriage history. Clearly. Yeah. So, in fact, four of the six wives are now deceased for various reasons. His first and third wives are the only still alive out of the six. 
Yeah. Hmm. In Utah, Thomas married his first wife, Catherine Thomas, when she was 18. She called him controlling and psychologically abusive. That word. They did have two children together, but Thomas started doing and dealing drugs. Mostly Mm -hmm. cocaine, but all of them, he would deal them. So he was cheating on her, too. Oh, nice. He would get arrested multiple times, but his parents would bail him out every single time. Kathy said that he was very narcissistic and would like to control her, and he started to get scary, so they ended up divorcing. She did remarry, but she and her new husband moved out of the state so they wouldn't be close to him because she was so freaked out. So she alleges that one one time he threatened to hire someone to kill her new husband. Yeah. So the day his divorce was completed, he married his second wife, Becky Galt, in 1983. He kept cheating, but he would also make Becky watch him have sex with the other women in his basement. What? Yeah. This was his mandin, for lack of a better term. He would lock it, lock her out sometimes unless he was making her go down there to watch. Because he would cheat, and then also some... He wouldn't always make her watch, but... She didn't like it at all. Well, no shit. Yeah, That's her it husband. was not. It wasn't like it was a threesome. She wasn't. It wasn't consensual. It was. And those women that he was having sex with, were they like, were they sex workers? We don't know. I was going to say, because like, what, what kind of woman would. Yeah, she didn't like it at all. And she told her friends about this stuff and. They were fighting a lot about keeping Becky's life insurance premiums up to date. She had three separate policies, and they were struggling to afford the payments on them. Oh, my gosh. Yep. She was Mm -mm. perfectly healthy at the time, Mm -mm. mind you. Mm -mm. Her friends didn't like him and encouraged her to leave him, but, you know, that's not always easy. She was terrified of him and worried about what he might do Mm -hmm. if she left him. So one afternoon, three years after they got married in 1986... Thomas called 911 because he found her in bed with a pistol in her hand and a gunshot to her head. Before calling the police, he said that he tried to move the gun. Don't touch a gun. I don't know why I would have done this, but anyway. Then drove to his dad's house and called 911 from there. Then when they arrived, they found him talking on the phone to his attorney. I don't think there's anything wrong with getting an attorney. Sure. I would get one 100%, especially if... Like, I know a lot of attorneys, and a lot of them are personal friends. Mm-hmm. I would probably call them and be like, look, I won't do. Yeah. Because you are going to be the prom suspect yeah. immediately. Yeah. I mean, I could see that. I think it was just, he was very... Sure. Calm. It, right. Well, and the, like, hey, the events, how they took, like, you let... He no, did it yeah. off. It yeah. was, like, yeah. not a immediately as that right. is, I need to call my attorney before I call no. the cops. Your spouse is dead in the bed. You You're hysterical. You don't want to assume they're dead, I would think. No. I would think you would want to call 911. Like, what can I do? What can I do? It's hard to know, but it is just kind of weird. So initially, Thomas was suspected of murder after his friend Eric Tarantino went to police and told them that Thomas had tried to hire him to kill her. Well, actually, he told Becky about this first, which made Thomas beat the crap out of Eric. Eric ended up moving to California, but he told the police about what went down after Becky was found dead. He testified about Thomas in court in return for immunity in conspiracy to murder. Eric claimed that Thomas was grooming him to murder Becky. He said Thomas discussed several ideas with him, including an accidental shooting, maybe Becky could drown, they could swap out her meds, 
Or maybe she oh could be God. killed by an intruder during a burglary. <sighs> Becky and Thomas were both using drugs, cocaine specifically. Thomas claimed that the night before he found her dead, she wanted to go to Salt Lake City to get more cocaine and wanted him to go with her. And he said she threatened suicide and he told her to go ahead and kill herself. Then he left the house. Mm-mm. Yeah, class act this one. <sighs> so Becky's friends and family have a much different story. They say just the day before her murder, she had seen a substance abuse counselor. And in court, this counselor told jurors that suicide was impossible for her to accept. I don't know if she revealed what they talked about, but after Becky's death, Thomas called this counselor and threatened her and said, people like her will get what's coming to them. This guy loves threatening people. This guy's so, peace. Yeah, Thomas ended up being acquitted and all Becky's death was, it was ruled a suicide. Mm-hmm. It was because it was mostly all circumstantial. They didn't really have much to go on, so there was nothing that could really happen. And he was also able to receive her life insurance of $500,000. Good grief. Yeah. Three policies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And get this, while he was in custody, he conspired with an inmate to kill Eric, the friend that told, yeah, and he pled guilty to it. He admitted he did it. So, Mm yeah. Yeah. So Thomas had been bouncing around working at odd jobs, but he stopped working after Becky's death. So after the second wife, he was done. In the meantime, he purchased a Porsche and two houses (sighs) with that life insurance money. A Porsche and two houses. (sighs) (sighs) Yep, because you need two. So after this, he married Gaina Allman. Their relationship was turbulent, to say the least, as she believed that he tried to kill her. One time, his gun discharged while he was cleaning it, while he was near her, and she did not think it was an accident at all. She thought he did it on purpose. So they ended up divorcing. So then he marries again. So Gaina was is the other one that's mm-hmm. alive still. That's a wrap, yeah. So he married again to Frances Randolph, but after an unsuccessful heart surgery, she died in the hospital in 2004. Couldn't find any details of what the surgery was for, if she died, I don't think she died on the operating table, but it was, I mm-hmm. don't know. So Frances had a daughter and she did not like Thomas. He wouldn't allow her to visit her mom in the hospital. Oh, God. What a piece of, oh, it drives me. Mm-mm. Yeah, he didn't even let her go to the funeral. And yeah, he was the sole beneficiary of her life insurance policy. And he made sure she was cremated 24 hours after her death. Ugh. When your priority is cremate someone immediately. <sighs> There's an issue. <sighs> so he got her life insurance money and used some of it to sue the hospital for her death and won. This guy. I know. Yeah. So he got another lump sum. How much? It didn't say. Damn so it. he's he's making a killing off life insurance and suing hospitals so she dies from this, and then he marries again to Leona Stapleton, and soon after, she died of cancer. And this is allegedly, the details of their relationship and her cancer are unknown. So again, couldn't figure out what kind of cancer she had, It's, but it's it makes me wonder... Yeah. Like, at what stage was medicine swapped? Kind of like how yeah. that one guy... 
Yeah. We don't know what stage she was in, so I can only speculate. But it's like, is this just bad luck? So did she have a lot of insurance? Yep. How and much? He was, it didn't say the amount. I know. <laughs> he was the beneficiary. Of course he was. So is it bad luck or a string of, you know, oh, yeah. coincidences? Mm. It's hard to say, right? Well, regardless, he got the moniker, the Black Widower. Sounds like it. So after the police learned about all of these unusual strings of death, they became more focused on Thomas and not just the masked intruder. Because mm-hmm. on the surface, they're like, well, yeah, of course, this is what happened. And then they're like, oh, this guy's got all these other wives that have died in the first. Yeah, so they found some inconsistencies with his story and the scene, like you kind of did, too. So he had told them that the intruder was wearing a black ski mask. And, you know, he said he shot at the man, shot him twice in the head. So the police found the ski mask lying beside the body, not a single bullet hole in the mask, no blood on the mask. Not a trace of blood on it. So Thomas told them that he shot him first in the hallway, like where he Mm -hmm. found Sharon, but there was no blood there. Another kicker is the shots that Michael Miller received in the head are those that could only be fired from above. As if he was on the ground. Like the bullet trajectory is facing down. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. It didn't give heights, but they didn't say that one guy was super short compared to the other one. They didn't. So they, Thomas claimed he had been standing when he shot at him, but the trajectory does not match up. So Sharon and Thomas had gotten home around 8.30 that evening. And just three minutes later is when the neighbor heard gunshots. So they had a time of when the gunshots went off from the neighbor. So he said the run-in with the intruder happened so fast. And it took two to three minutes total for him to see him, shoot him, and call 911. But the 911 call was placed at 8.44. So that leaves 10 minutes Mm -hmm. of missing time, pretty much. Mm Mm-hmm. So it came to light that Michael Miller knew the couple had planned on going to Utah the next day to visit Thomas's family for a vacation. So why would he have robbed them the night before they left? He knew it. They were close friends. He would have went any day in, but. Unless he got his days mixed up. That's, that's true. That could have happened. So detectives had the opinion that Thomas had persuaded or hired Michael Miller to shoot his wife, Sharon, during a staged burglary. Then, after Michael shot Sharon, Thomas flipped the script and killed Michael, the only witness. Because as you remember, the witness left from his first wife told on him. Mm-hmm. So this time, there's no one to write he's him leaving, out. Yeah, he's leaving no loose ends. So they knew Michael had been down on his luck before he met Thomas. And they thought Thomas had been grooming him for something like this since he would take him to the shooting range. Mm -hmm. And he did this with the first guy, too. He did a scapegoat. Yeah. Well, Sharon had one daughter named Colleen, and Colleen was uncomfortable with their relationship from the start. This guy was not popular with any wives, friends, family, period. Everyone Mm -hmm. thought he was a narcissist, controlling he didn't like the wives communicating with their daughters much. He got bad. He, he was just, he, 100%. He, like, wanted to steal the show, take things over immediately. So, according to Colleen, Thomas cheated on her mother several times with an old girlfriend. I, 
It must be the narcissistic personality that charms people because, I mean, I don't want to just go off looks, but he's not not good looking um, to the, I guess, the standard. I don't know. Anyway, so Colleen knew he was cheating on her. Mm-hmm. So she went behind his back and took his name off the deed. Oh. He didn't know this. Also, he had supposedly told Sharon they should get a divorce because the marriage was screwing him over in taxes. So she was kind of like, okay, he's wanting to get divorced. I'm going to take him off some stuff. Mm -hmm. So the day Colleen found out that her mother had been murdered, she immediately called him and said, what did you do to my mother? And he was super rude to her, hung up. Then I listened to some of these. He called her a bunch of times, leaving her voicemails. (laughs) Very, I don't even know what the word is, condescending. Like he was being a narcissist 100%. And then he would say stuff like, your mom didn't like you. She always talked about you and said this and that. And it was just horrible, like really mean. And then he would call back and apologize, but in a very fake way where it's like it wasn't genuine at all. (laughs) He was bizarre. But then he kept saying, you know, we're still family. And he was pushing for the sale of the house that he shared with Sharon He had recently also convinced Sharon to take out life insurance and to make him the beneficiary. It's like this was always this guy's get married. This is what we're going to focus on. Mm -hmm. She was in her 40s and in good health. I'm not saying that you have to be a certain age, but it's important to know at the time he forced all of his, well, forced, coaxed all of his wives to get life insurance. They were all healthy and all, none of them were elderly. Yeah, 40 is not elderly. Yeah, no. She was in she was in her forties and great health. So obviously she thought maybe he was leaving her or something was fishy because unbeknownst to him, she changed the beneficiary rights to her daughter, Colleen. He didn't know this until she died. And he got pissed. So Colleen gets the house mm-hmm. and all the life insurance. Yes. All that expensive <sighs> stuff he convinced her to take out. He's pissed and starts harassing her. With phone calls. And of course she gets all these mm-hmm. voicemails and stuff she has him. I listen to some of them. He's nuts. He's, it's, he's off the rails after this. This sets him off more than ever. He was maintaining his innocence, but he was arrested and taken to trial. And in a, the first article I saw about this guy was by the New York Post. The title was described as Tiger King of Murder. <clears throat> so he's a lot. He's very eccentric. And strange. It's hard to describe him, but if you listen to his, the way he talks in videos, he's very dramatic and narcissistic. He has the long hair. He sometimes has a mullet, sometimes has it, his long hair in pigtails. He's just very eccentric. No, 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 no. And then in one time he's in court, he tells the judge, sorry, I didn't send you a Christmas card. He's just bizarre he's bizarre he he's like a shock jock too he wants to shock people mm-hmm. make them feel uncomfortable so yeah he i don't know in court his two surviving wives testified against him told the jurors all about their marriages and about how they feared for their lives about how he would harass them afterwards and he maintained his innocence still but he was eventually found guilty of double homicide and conspiracy to commit murder and was sentenced to death. However, (laughs) last year, in 2020, the Nevada Supreme Court ruled that the jury should not have been presented evidence from his first wife, 
or sorry, his second wife's murder, Becky Galt, in 1986, since he was acquitted. So they're saying, you know, so that overturned their most recent convictions. So in other words, he got off on a technicality. Yeah. In the first trial, the jury found out about his history and they said they shouldn't have revealed this during his trial. So as of now, he's awaiting retrial in custody. He's currently 66 years old. And this means that Thomas Randolph will now have a new trial with a chance to get out of prison entirely. The court date isn't set yet, but I'll keep y'all informed. But I don't understand this because as a layperson, I feel like a person's past like this shows motive and intent. I, I'm not a lawyer or anything, but I know he was acquitted. But so it's like if the jury doesn't know anything about his past and only goes on this, I don't know. It's It seems really, yeah, it does just seem like a technicality. So... Becky's daughter, Colleen, is devastated by this. And, of course, she fears for her life still because she's like, if he gets out of prison, he's going to come after that money, the house, whatever. Dateline had a three-part docuseries called The Widower where she talks about everything that's gone on with this case. And Dateline Podcast has a three-parter that I listen to with all the interviews. You can hear all of them talking. I recommend listening to those. So Colleen has said this. Everybody needs to know he's guilty. He's 100% guilty. It's painful, but I'm mad now. This is just not right. This is not justice for me and my family. He can't get out. He's a killer and we'll do it again. And that's, Believable. Yeah. Mm-mm. This guy's a lunatic. Six. Six wives. I can see someone having bad relationship trouble, being divorced a lot, but the fact that four of them are dead, that's just... And two Mm-mm. of them have been shot dead. Mm-mm. And you've hired a hitman in your past. Two are shot dead. Two died from mysterious, mysterious illnesses, illnesses where you can't find much mm-hmm. about it. So I don't know. And I, I wanted to, I tried to find records on how, what he exactly sued the negligence for for the hospital. But I can, I can really. Well, it must have been serious if he won. I know. Because so I feel lucky. like people don't. I almost worry. I feel like medical malpractice is a big lawsuit to take on. You know what I mean? It is, and it's not an easy one to win, you That's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I don't know. I wish I knew more about that, because part of me wonders if it really was an accident, or if he was, I don't know, Somehow. putting stuff in her IV. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't mm-hmm. let the daughter see her, which makes me... That's creepy to me. Like, yeah. what was he doing? Mm-hmm. Would she know something was going on? Would she... I don't know. So, I just consulted an attorney. I love that you live text attorneys. <laughs> Ashley has a lot of connections. So, she just... just li- she I live just text attorneys, live text. cops, whoever, in the middle of us what recording. What did they say? They said you can... It can be allowed in order to show a pattern of behavior. So, they're saying it couldn't. Yeah. I mean, I guess maybe from state to state. But that's what I mean. It's like... I mean, if you can give character witnesses, why wouldn't you be allowed to... Know? I don't know. To me, it shows intent, motive. Pattern of Pattern. behavior. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's that's crazy. I must be, and I also just asked, does it differ from state to state? Because so. as a juror, if you don't know any of that, I could see why he, he might get off. Well, history comes into play maybe because it's like, it obviously, I'm going to stop talking so I don't sound like a big dummy to all my friends that listen that are attorneys. Well, I know it's very... <laughs> 
If you're one of Ashley's attorney friends, look up this case and let us know because it doesn't seem right. I mean, I know certain things aren't allowed to be discussed in cases, but I feel like this is... So, because you don't want to, like, sway the jury. Yeah, but in this case... But you can bring up history when it comes to, like, this person had a history of being physically abusive. Exactly. And then this wife was beat to death. So... All these the his living yeah. wives think he's abusive, and then I don't know. And the fact that he hired a hitman in the past, he pled guilty to conspiring, so he pled guilty of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not an Stay attorney. Stay tuned. It's, it's the, Stay bu- tuned. the bubbles are up. The, oh, so the bubbles texting. are up. We got live, <laughs> live text. It must be a long text. Oh gosh, I'm in, I'm in for this. So long text mm. equaled. That's fairly standard. <laughs> Just three words. Okay. Well. Oh, you know. So anyways, are you ready to talk about? Oh, yeah. Let's transition to my uh, crazy craziness. I'm curious. All right. So I'm talking about David Stephen Middleton. So he was an African-American serial killer, which okay. is rare. There's, yeah, there's not a lot. Really. White people are usually the murderers and psychopaths. <laughs> So that's unusual. So he was born in June of 61 in Boston, Massachusetts. His dad was a police officer and he had a pretty normal childhood. His parents were very loving and supportive, but they did divorce when he was 11. So two years later, mom remarries and stepdad kind of takes over. Dad Mm kind of steps back and kind of out of his life. Mm, Okay. Stepdad steps up and is totally involved. So at age 13, David gets a new dad and two step-siblings. He was an average student, had a lot of good friends and good relationship. So no cat killing, no setting shit on fire like we normally hear about crazy childhood stuff. So at 18, he was hired as a cadet police officer in Boston, and he was also attending college at the same time. So he becomes fascinated with the Boston Strangler, mm. which we all are. Soon. So he marries his high school sweetheart, Julia, and they have two kids. In January of 82, he resigns and they move to Florida. So two weeks after he's, you know, that the family moves to Florida, he gets a job at the Miami Metro Dade Police Department in the Warrants Division, which is pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. So within the first year, he's promoted to detective at 21 years old. Wow. That's, yeah, that's pretty impressive. So in 84, he arrests Geraldine Smith and begins an affair with her. He arrested her? And- so he's serving her a warrant and arrests okay. her and begins to have an affair with her. Like you do. I know some women who are crazy about a man in uniform, so maybe it was... I don't know. Maybe it was that. In 1987, his mother dies, and he cuts off all contact with his family. Hmm. He then becomes an alcoholic, and his ex-wife would say that he became sexually aggressive towards her and other women. Like, even in restaurants, like, women that were working as waitresses, he would make. Oh, no. Mm -mm. So... He becomes a different person completely. Kind of feel like maybe 
his mom dying yeah. set him off. Because I've seen and read about instances where, like, serial killers kind of... They don't always have just a bad childhood. Right. They typically do, but not always. Or if who they really are is a psychopath, they hide it. Yeah. Because it's like they don't want to disappoint their mother. Yeah. And they're very good at picking up how they're what they're supposed to do. Right. Right. Putting up, you know, going through the motions. So he starts having problems at work, absences, tardy. He begins picking up sex workers while he's in uniform and threatens to arrest them if they don't sleep with him. <clears throat> so he's that makes me abusing mad. his power, clearly. God, I hate that. So in 1988, he is moved to desk duty while Internal Affairs is investigating him for using his role as a police officer to help friends and people he's sleeping with out of trouble. Investigation closes and he returns to detective. So they, they, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, oh, nothing found it. So meanwhile, he meets Yvonne Haley, a topless dancer, and begins a romantic affair. They're into sadomasochism. Later on, there are tapes that are found with women in handcuffs and who are appearing to be in extreme pain. Mm. So the girl, Haley, probably shot him. First of all, we're not shaming people who are into sadomasochism. BDSM is a whole lifestyle. People don't understand. And I feel like it gets a bad rap. Consensual. Consensual BDSM. Go for it. Yeah. If that's, that's your jam. Yeah. Do it. So when they say they see these women in handcuffs and they appear to be in a lot of pain, maybe they are in pain, but maybe that's their thing. Yeah. So I don't feel like we should judge based yeah, on that. I don't want to see. Anyways, I digress. So the next year, he coaxes a woman from the police department into sleeping with him. So she's a secretary there, and she practices Santeria. Oh my gosh. Do not sing the song. Okay. You saw it in my eyes, didn't <laughs> she you? She about to hit us with some sublime. So... He claims to be a Santorian priest. Okay. And that's how he gets her to sleep with him. I'm going to be honest. I don't know anything about that other than it's a line in a song. What is it like? So Santeria is a Afro-Caribbean religion based on Yoruba beliefs and traditions with some Roman Catholic elements added. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, like I said, it's not voodoo. It's not, it's, it's an island cultural okay. thing. Yeah. Interesting. So, he uh, tells her he's a Santorian priest. Those are probably hard to come by. In I would think. Florida. Well, I don't know. Miami. You know, oh, they're all, never mind. They're yeah. everywhere. So, anyways. So, when he tries to put handcuffs on her, she freaks out, tries to leave. He catches her, locks her up, and rapes her for several days. Oh, my gosh. So, he's arrested for this. Obviously, they work together. Like, did you not think she was going to tell on you? So he's arrested for this, makes bail, and while he is out on bail one night, he's driving to a gas station in an unmarked car. He's in his uniform, and he spots a 16-year-old girl who was waiting on a ride, and he says to her that you are out past curfew, and like he arrests her, quote-unquote, and tells her he's taking her to juvenile hall. He doesn't. He drives her to the woods and he rapes her. <gasps> then he takes her home. So a few days go by. 16-year-old girl 
calls the police and reports it. God, can you imagine, okay, you're raped by the police and you have to call the police. Right. God, right. Which is probably so, why she waited a couple that's days. That's so terrible. It's, ter- it's terrible. Uh. So, meanwhile, he skips bail. Like, he leaves and goes to Mississippi. God, she's all over the U.S. at this point. So, yeah. So, he leaves and goes to Mississippi because the, uh, the Yvonne girl... Uh-huh. The stripper that he had the yeah. affair with has moved to Mississippi. Okay. So when he's arrested, his, you know, he, yeah. So he goes to Mississippi. And uh, stays with her and her two kids. Like, uh-huh. she lets this man move in with her and her two children. Mm-hmm. So he's arrested in November in Greenville, Mississippi. And extradited back to Florida. In December, he resigns from the police department. He wasn't fired for all this shit that he's done. He has to resign. His wife divorces him in Mm -hmm. the middle of all this and takes the kids and he signs off everything. So June of 91, he's found guilty of false imprisonment, but not rape because there was no evidence. I know that's the thing about rape is like yeah. if there's no evidence, it's your word against theirs. Like you can't yeah. really prove it that it wasn't Mm-mm. consensual or that it even happened. Yeah. So don't go home and wash your body. Go to the emergency room. Let them do a rape kit if this ever, ever, God forbid, happens yeah. to anybody I'm listening. Sh- I'm sure it's the worst thing to ever. Can't have to even do, imagine. But go to the emergency yeah. room. Don't don't even wash your hands. So. When he gets out, he moves to Colorado to be with Yvonne. Good Lord. Because now she's left Mississippi. She's, she's in Colorado. She's trying to get get away from so she. So he moves to Colorado. In 1993, Buffy Donahue works with Yvonne at a local sizzler. She had recently married her high school sweetheart, Mason, and they lived with her parents to save money. The two couples would hang out sometimes. Mm-hmm. David told them he was an ex-cop who had to leave Miami after he went undercover in a prison sting. Oh, God. I know, what a liar. Buffy's parents <sighs> didn't like him hanging out with this couple because they were older. And they were like, why are they wanting to hang out with these 18-year-old kids? Oh, yeah. So even her parents were like, this is not yeah. cool. So Buffy tells her husband and her dad that she had tried Coke over at their house Oh, that Lord. David had given it to her, but he creeped her out, so she didn't want to hang out with him anymore. So November of 93, four days before Thanksgiving, the family is watching a football game when Buffy leaves and is going to wash her car and run by the grocery store. couple hours pass. She's not back. Family's worried. They go looking for her, and they find her car at the Walmart parking lot with her wallet inside. They instantly go to David's apartment And there's no one there except Yvonne's daughter who said they had been there and they left to take Buffy home. Mm. They went to the police department to file a police report. Police say she's 18. She probably just ran away. They don't even take them serious. I hate that. Three people saw her get into a car with a blonde woman matching Yvonne's description. And the car matched one that David and Yvonne owned. A friend of Buffy's who worked at a gas station across from their apartment said she saw them around midnight putting trash bags in their car. One large one that he was struggling with, and she called the police and told them 
But the police told her they weren't taking calls because it hadn't been 24 hours, so they weren't investigating it. I hate everything about this. I know. It gets worse. So police go to question him, but nothing comes of it. Mom then goes over there, and he meets her at the door with a shotgun. Police are called. He was not arrested, even though he was a felon and had a gun. And she was told she had to leave. So, in April of 94, Haley and David move right outside Reno to Sparks, Nevada. He found a job as a cable installer for TCI two months later. And then he rents a storage unit under a fake business name. A year later, a Circus Circus employee, 42-year-old Thelma Davila, disappeared from her apartment that she shared with her sister. David had assisted in a cable installation at this complex one month earlier. Around the same time, he requested an upgrade at his storage unit because he said he needed more room. You know. Her sister said when she left her, she was sleeping on the couch. And when she came home, Thelma was gone, the door was unlocked, and there was a plant in the house that was knocked over. Mm-hmm. So she reports her missing. Yeah. Nothing comes of it. February 3rd of 95, a year later... Kathy Powell, a third grade teacher who had her PhD, goes missing. She had a ski trip planned with friends but failed to show up. She was last seen that Friday leaving school. So then they're looking at everything. Yeah. So on February 4th, he visited his storage unit six times. February 5th, he visited it four times. So they have all this on CCTV. Mm-hmm. This would later come out. So I'm giving you kind of a timeline. Several of Kathy's friends and family tried to contact her over the weekend. And when she didn't show up for work on Monday, the principal called the cops. Because he's like, this is not like her to not show up for work. She's a very reliable employee. So the school custodian was very good friends with Kathy and meets the cops at her house. Doors are locked. They're looking in all the windows. No sign of a struggle anywhere. But there was a TCI service tag on her front door. Like from the cable company that he worked for. Mm. This guy's just leaving. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. So when she didn't show up the next day, the school officially files a missing person. Same cop goes back over to the house. This time they forced entry. Her car was there. Purse was in the house. The next day, her credit card was used to purchase a $1,900 stereo. (sighs) Yeah. From a good guy store. Colorado plates on the car that picked up the stereo. The next day, David visited his storage unit two times. So, cops search her home. There was missing appliances in her house. Nothing like jewelry and stuff gone, but like missing appliances. On February 11th, David was seen loading a large package into his truck that looked like a body inside a sleeping bag wrapped in rope. What? Two hours after this, at 9.30 p.m., a woman's body was found in a dumpster at an apartment complex by a man who was looking for cans. The body was female, wrapped in garbage bags, sewn into a sleeping bag, then wrapped in a large yellow bag, (sighs) then tied up with rope. She also had been bound by rope. 
was naked except for a tank top that had been pulled up around her neck and had on blue socks. The rope that was tied around her ankles stretched up to her neck. So if she moved her feet, it would strangle her. Oh my gosh. Her knees and elbows were covered in bruises. There was a huge bite mark on her left breast and a semen stain on her right thigh. All this stuff had taken place before her death. She had been dead for about two days. Blue fibers and traces of aluminum were found on the body. I know. So they identified her from her fingerprints. Cause of death, undetermined. Yeah. It was Kathy. So neighbors of hers came forward and said they noticed a truck parked there loading household items with out-of-state plates that Saturday. So she was last seen at school on Friday. That Saturday, the truck was there. You know what this just made me think of? Like, what? This guy's obviously an idiot, but also very brave. Like, he didn't know her. Yeah. So if, I mean, my neighbors know me. If you see a truck loading stuff from my house, like, you better go over there and stop them. I worked from home on Tuesday, and, like, I ran Max to school and came right back, and I left my garage door open. I wasn't gone five minutes, and my neighbor called me and was like, my "My husband just texted me and said that you left your garage door open. Do you want him to run over there and shut it? And I was like, no, no, no. I just ran to drop Max off at school. That's what I'm saying. Like, make Mm. friends with your neighbors. So, in case something like that happens, thank you, Darla, by the way. That's a good yeah. yeah. So I'm I like, and this guy's start out. baking pies for my new neighbors. And this guy's just out there, like taking stuff out of her house, and her neighbors are just seeing all this. Anyways, crazy. So maybe they're all at work. I don't know. No, it's a Saturday. Oh. So, anyways, um, do do do. Where was I? Wednesday. Do do do. So he's seen loading household items out of her house. Neighbors say out-of-state tags. We don't really know where they were from, but they weren't from here. There was also a TCI cable truck parked there on Wednesday. Mm. So the neighbors are coming forward and say, we saw this truck there parked on Wednesday. Then we saw this other truck parked there on Saturday. She was last seen on Friday in between. So the trash bag that she was wrapped in was traced to a local hardware store and his truck was used to pick up the stereo. So they're piecing it all together. This truck is seen without a state. Yeah, there's so many breadcrumbs. Yeah. So this truck was a red international harvester with out of state tags. So it's not like it was one everybody had with Nevada plates. So they put out like an APB for this vehicle. A state trooper who was out patrolling finds it at a TCI parking lot, runs the plates. It matches David Middleton, same TCI serviceman at Kathy's house. So they they got their guy. They also learned that he was an ex-cop and had been arrested for rape. So on February 23rd, they get a search warrant for his truck and apartment, but could only look for things from the good guy's case. From the stereo mm. thing because they didn't have yeah. enough about Kathy yet. So they arrest yeah. him. I arrest him. They bring him down. And 
you know, they're interrogating him and he's like, I'm one of you guys. I'm my next cop. So I'll help you in whatever way I can. Of course, I'll cooperate. But when they ask him for fingerprints and blood, he says he's getting an attorney. But since he was in the state of Nevada, he should have already registered because he was a registered sex offender. So they get his fingerprints anyways, even though he told them they couldn't have him. So they let him go thinking he's going to lead us to something because now he knows we're on to him. So they go to the apartment and talk to Yvonne Haley and she's arrested for possession of meth. So now they can get a search warrant yeah. and they find a shotgun in the apartment. So now they can arrest yeah. David because he's a felon with the gun. So Nevada's got their shit together. Yeah. Colorado, yeah. not so much because yeah. they didn't give a shit about any of that stuff. So there was no other evidence found, which made them think he's got to be doing this somewhere else because there's no other evidence in the house anywhere. So David tries to cut a deal with the DA for a lesser sentence if he provides credit card information on Kathy, he was like, if you just charge me with like larceny and unlawful disposal of human remains, then I'll give you other information and the DA's oh, like, eat right. shit. Yeah. No, we're not doing that. No deal. So another interview is conducted and he admits to having consensual sex and that she died when he left to go get alcohol for them. That she was tied up because of the... BDSM, and that she accidentally strangled herself, and that he did dispose of her body. So I don't know what the rules are, but I feel like there should be a one. One, if if that is actually true, which I don't think it's it not, is. Yeah. I don't think that is. But if it were true, I would hope that there's a rule where you can't leave the home when that's set up. That's dangerous. I mean, I feel like people who do this a lot or are in this mm-hmm. lifestyle, there are rules. Yeah, I feel like that's a rule that should always be in place. Don't leave someone. Don't. Mm. But, I mean, that's part of it sometimes. Yeah, people want to be should. left yeah. in restraints or in cages or boxes or whatever. Not that this is what happened here, but yeah. don't automatically assume that that's yeah, crazy but yeah. anyway it could it could happen there's been lots of cases where people have been gosh I have know. died mm-hmm. accidentally in yeah. some form of bdsm yeah. play anyways that's not what happened here i, don't think, I yeah, definitely no, no. don't think so so police put out a bulletin asking if anyone had any information for a storage unit in middleton's name a mailman happens to come forward and says that he delivers mail to them. And there is a name for a storage unit under Hal Data. So maybe it's under that instead. And sure enough, they find one. Mailman to the rescue. Mailman to the rescue. So they search it and find a stereo. Trash bags matching the one that Kathy was wrapped in. The appliances from her house ropes, a gag, restraining devices, whips, and a refrigerator that is on its back with holes drilled in the side. Oh, no. Blue fibers inside the fridge match the ones found on Kathy's body. There's holes drilled. Into the refrigerator. Why? Cops said there was a hole cut between the fridge and the freezer. And that looked like where a person could be held captive. <gasps> so he was with keeping their head them in the freezer <sighs> and their body in the fridge. Ropes and pulleys ran throughout the unit. Because I was thinking it's to keep a body cool, but they were alive. 
The fridge was not plugged in. Oh, it was laid Lord. flat. Okay. Oof. The fridge was not plugged in. It was laid on its back. So it was used as some sick And so the device. body was put in, head in the oh freezer, body in the fridge part, doors shut and locked. Oh. There were ropes and pulleys ran throughout the unit, clasps and hooks attached to the end of the rope and restraining the vices on the floor. Human skin and hair was found in the devices. Blood and saliva were found on sex toys. Mm. This is clearly a torture chamber. Yes, this, this whole, is horrible. This, it's like a saw kit like, yeah. from a movie. Ooh. Yeah. So in April of 95, a man walking his dog finds a human skull and calls the cops. <sighs> Investigators find several bags of bones strewn around the area, like hundreds of yards. There's just like scattered stuff. Matted hair was found wrapped around rope, oh which was the same type of rope found with Kathy's body. A dental bridge was matched to Thelma Davila, the first wow. woman, the one from the Circus Circus. No cause of death was determined because the state of decomposition of the body. David pled guilty to felony possession of a firearm and got one year in jail. No judicial reach around. Keeps happening. Yep. So, in May, a hiker discovers a skull in Colorado and contacts police. Oh, my god! They discover more bones in a field and trash bags, pieces of rope still attached to a leg bone. Knots on the rope match those that were on the women in Nevada. The body was later identified as 18-year-old Buffy Donahue. Golly. The death was caused by blunt force trauma. Duct tape wrapped around her head was used as a gag. Yeah. And there were teeth marks and tearing on the inside oh of the God. tape mm. that showed she was alive for quite a while. Oh, I hate that. With the duct tape wrapped around her head. Carpet fibers on the body matched the inside of the car and hairs that were on her matched those of David. Even after all that time. Yeah. <clears throat> like it still matched. But no charges would be pressed against Why? him because it cost too much money to what? extradite him from Nevada oh, to Colorado. Oh my goodness. So the police. Okay. Yeah. So the police. That's what I'm telling you. Colorado. Really? First, you don't take the parents serious. You don't, you think she's a runaway. You don't arrest him after you find a gun in his house and he's a felon. And then it costs too much money to extradite him. They decide to wait on the two murder charges that were pending in Nevada to see what happened. So in June of 95, he was interviewed again where he admitted to being at Thelma's apartment but said he did not kill her. Sure. Yeah. Nevada goes to Miami and talks to past co-workers, cops. That describe him as a sexual deviant, said he showed them several sex tapes. So even his old coworkers were like, This guy's this guy's crazy and he showed us this that's the sex tapes I was talking about at the beginning. Yeah. So DNA analysis performed on different evidence and cellular material was tested off of a foam ball used as a gag. DNA showed it matched Kathy. DNA and hair tested from the scene, the storage unit. Also matched Kathy. Other hairs tested from the scene matched Thelma. 
DNA from the semen on her thigh matched David. So now they have enough evidence to press charges. So on June 22nd of 95, warrants were signed for the arrest. And when they got to his apartment to serve the papers, they find Haley's teenage daughter cutting her wrist. She's trying to commit suicide when the cops get there. Because, I mean, like you've not only ruined other people's lives, but you you didn't even think about the kids that are living through all this. Terrible. Of course not. So, the murder trial lasts six weeks. Expert witnesses testify that based on the size and the holes drilled into the refrigerator, a person weighing about 150 pounds would be suffocated in approximately three and a half hours. So, that's probably what he did. So, Kathy obviously probably died of asphyxiation. Yep, I'm done. You know what I mean? Asphyxiation. See, you can't say it either. But that did sound really good. Asphyxiation. Asphyxiation. So bruises on her elbows and knees were probably from her trying to get out of the refrigerator. Trying to free herself. Hmm. Like she was beating, trying to get out. I can't even make someone throw up. Uh Oh, I hate everything. That reminds me of that case of the girl, the lady that was in the box for years and years and years. Yes. That guy was torturing her and she lived in a box. Under the bed. We'll have oh to cover gosh, that one too. That yeah. is nuts. That's that's a that's just Mm-mm. one of my biggest nightmare. Cases. So, <laughs> jury finds him guilty of two counts of first degree murder, two counts of first degree kidnapping, one count of larceny, and one count of stolen credit card. Mm. No charges were ever filed against him in Buffy's murder. God, mm. he's currently in prison in Eli State, Nevada. So, Yvonne Haley goes to prison in Colorado for accessory to murder of Buffy. So, they did charge somebody. She pled not guilty, but she got 11 years. She said Buffy came to her to buy Coke, and she took her to the apartment so they could smoke pot to kind of distract her from Mm -hmm. it. Middleton and Buffy then left to go buy some Coke, but only he returned. He said that he accidentally killed her, that she got the Coke, tried to run away, and when he caught her, she tripped and fell and hit her head on a rock. And he begged her not to tell on him mm. because if she did, they would take her kids away. Yeah. So she, I feel like this is all bullshit, yeah, but she believed him and Yeesh. never said a word. So she was paroled in 2003. So wow. she's out. She's just out somewhere. Like no big deal after all this shit that she's done. Yeesh. Nope. So, Buffy's mother started a victim's advocate group in their town in Colorado. Kathy's mom sued TCI Cable for not background checking their employees. Wow. Yeah. So, there's actually a book written by a retired police sergeant out of Nevada called Beware of the Cable Guy. Oh. So. I'm going to have to check that out. Check that book out. And uh, that's my story. Wow. Okay, so they're making another Ted Bundy movie after having a bazillion. Mm-hmm. They need like, to make movies two... about these things, like cases that you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like I, this one. How like many times do we movie. need to hear no. about Ted Bundy? We don't need this to hear about Ted Bundy anymore. We're over him. We need Ed Kemper. We need this crazy cable guy. We need your crazy five, six, seven murdered his ex-wife. No, these. I, I can't believe I, I don't even know if I've even seen any of this on ID or anything. No. Maybe there, there probably there is. There probably is. There's a gazillion. I couldn't find anything. But, 
Jeez. I had to like. That's hor- this crazy, is horrible. Crazy Google and this is a podcast. Word. I listened to a couple podcasts about it. Golly. So that's where I got most of my information is podcast and Murderpedia. You remember which podcast? Fruit Loops. Oh my gosh. Okay. Of all crazy. Khalil Wheeler Weaver, the case I did. The oh, it's because okay, I like them. I I'm subscribed. Yeah, they're it's, pretty good. It's two girls. Yeah, it's because I haven't listened to them since. Maybe I should because they definitely cover some I haven't heard before. But yeah, we don't know any TV producers. But man, if if they could get them in of it, maybe there is a calling. People want more Ted Bundy movies. I don't know anybody that does. I think people got um completely uh, bamboozled many. by Zac Efron playing him and in real life he was not <sighs> like, that good looking so yeah I mean come on Ugh, whatever we're over it anyway we have something fun that we just started today well when you listen to this it'll be a couple weeks after but you can now sponsor a cocktail please we need cocktails Yay, we need cocktails so we normally drink a cocktail and a diet coke. <laughs> well, <we're, laughs> shampoo and condition. Record. Yeah, we drink, we double fist it, we, you know. But anyway, so now you can sponsor a cocktail, and we will give you a shout out during one of our next episodes. And I mean, if you just want to leave your name, we'll give you a shout out that way. If you have something to say, unless it's super inappropriate, creepy or offensive. But, like, if you want to say, hey, I want to wish other listener so-and-so a happy birthday or, um, I don't know. I don't care. Unless we don't care. We want to do it. Unless it's offensive or creepy, then do whatever you want. But thank you so much for the support. And it's like a one-time thing. I mean, if people want to buy more drinks, you can. But it's not like a um, membership type thing like right, Patreon yeah. is, which we also have. But this makes it just a fun, quick way to... Support us, and we appreciate it. And, of course, follow us on Instagram. All the things. At United States of Murder, Twitter, Facebook, and this, because the character limit. <laughs> it's U.S. <laughs> of M. Podcast. <laughs> character limits, man. We hate a so limit. So, where are we next week? We haven't decided, so it's it's on Just air decision. Just on the spot. I well, don't okay. know. Okay, so I asked for recommendations. Nevada was one, mm-hmm. which we just did. Other ones I got were, were um, Wisconsin, Kansas, and... We're going to have to do a Canada one. We're going to have to... Yeah, that would We're going to have to go super special. north and just do a crossover because a friend of mine was telling me about this crazy Canadian case... And I kind of want to do some research and look into it and cover it. I'm not going to tell you what it is because you'll steal it because it's so good. Maybe we can do a joint one. (laughs) Both cover it like we did Tennessee because it's a good one. Hmm. So anyways, we'll get to that later. So what do you want to do? That sounds interesting though. What do you want to do? Flip a coin. Um, Sam, you you can talk. We're going to, you decide what state. What is two states did you say? Wisconsin, Kansas. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. spoken. We're going to go to Wisconsin. The cheese curd state. I don't think that's what it is. <laughs> Definitely. There's always something I have no... Like, Nevada's the silver state because of its abundance of silver. It's just whatever. Anyway. So, cool. Nevada. Love your casinos. Hate your murders. Hate your murders. I haven't been to Las Vegas in ages. I haven't been to Las Vegas Ever. Seriously? No. Oh my gosh. I told you, I don't think I could go. You know my personality. I'd have to have like 
a plan B and an oxygen tank on the plane. <laughs> it would be <laughs> Sodom and Gomorrah. It would be terrible decisions. Oh, my gosh. It would be um, The Hangover. Is that what the movie's it called? It would be The, the hangover. hangover. It would be The Hangover for, for me. For me, 100%. Oh, my gosh. Anyways, on that note. Listen next week. Bye. Bye.